Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ontario's Auditor General released her latest report, and there are several eye-popping findings. Should the minimum voting age for federal elections be lowered? NDP leader Andrea Horvath says Ontario's minimum wage should be 20 bucks an hour. A new report shows two-thirds of Canadians are thinking about quitting their job. Ticats head coach Orlando Steinauer joins us to preview Sunday's East Final against the Argos. And it's another busy weekend for the Hamilton Bulldogs. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. I think there have been allegations that applications were put in that were fraudulent and that money was um, moved into bank accounts for people that weren't entitled to receive the money. That is the voice of Ontario's Auditor General, Bonnie Lissick, releasing her latest report yesterday. And there are several, usually is the case, several eye-popping findings. Let's get right to it with Bonnie Lissick, Auditor General in the province of Ontario. Bonnie, good morning. Thanks for joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into some of the key highlights of this report, how much work goes into compiling such an extensive report? Um, Yeah, quite a bit. We have a number of teams, and the teams in the office are usually four or five people, and they focus on a particular subject, and they work on it pretty much uh, for about eight months. And there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, discussions, interviews, reviews of documents, so it, it's considerable. You've been doing this for uh, several years now, and it seems like each and every year there's something um, uh, wild and crazy and disturbing in a report in terms of spending or overspending or whatnot. Does anything surprise you anymore? Um, <laughs> we do We do see a lot. I mean, there's always something each year that stands out, uh, and you, you look at it and you go, no, I, I, you know, I can't I can't believe that, but or or you know that's really important. People people should know that information. So there is something every year that that does uh, stand out as being, um, you know, unexpected. Is there one item in this year's report that really sticks in your craw? You know, it, it's not so much that it's something untoward, but I think I think the one that I think is really important for people, just because it affects everybody uh, at, at some point, maybe in their families' lives is our report on stroke and cardiac emergency treatment. So I think, you know, in that in that file we 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 basically confirmed that, you know, there's only there's twenty eight cardiac centers in Ontario, twenty eight stroke centers, and that when somebody's experiencing a heart attack or a stroke, unless you call an ambulance, if your family members are taking you to a hospital, they have to know where to take you to get the best best care. Um, an ambulance will take you to the right place, but um, family members might choose a hospital where it's not the ideal location for um, uh, cardiac uh, or stroke tree, uh, sorry, stroke or uh, heart attack. Still on the uh, the health, uh, I guess, wavelength, uh, really, um, you know, d- disturbing, I guess, is the word that comes to mind. Uh, statistics or, or insight into provincial police officers and how many of them are being diagnosed with PTSD and, and how it affects, obviously, them and others on the force. Yeah, that's correct. That, that was, that was a, a bit of a surprise. I mean, I think... Um, I think what we heard is there are a thousand vacancies for frontline constables and that then impacts the number of patrol hours and the level of service and the level of um, uh, cases that are solved more quickly. And, and so that is an important area. And yes, knowing that there's that many people that are um, being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder is, uh, you know, is concerning. 
Bonnie Lissick is our guest, Auditor General in the province of Ontario. We're looking into her latest reports that has several interesting findings, including a ton of money being paid to businesses that shouldn't have received this money. Yeah, uh, the Ontario Small Business Grant Program was set up and it offered two payments, 10000 and 20000 to businesses at different points in time. When the program was initially set up, there weren't sufficient internal controls that were put in the system to catch what we would consider ineligible applicants. And so there was more than $210 million paid out uh, that was subsequently written off by the province. One of the big issues in town amongst many here in Hamilton is the urban boundary expansion issue. City Council here in Hamilton recently voting to build within through infill and intensification. Um, there are uh, There is some information regarding ministers' zoning orders within your report. Talk about that. Yeah, I'd encourage people who are interested in land the, the whole land planning process in Ontario to read that report because in all of our reports we have good background information. But we do speak to the minister zoning orders. It's something that's quite contentious. The, there is an increased frequency in the use of the MZO orders. Uh, there's 44 that were issued in the last two years. And basically they're orders that are um, allowing for some type of development outside of the provincial plan. And uh, we do have a section in the report that speaks to that. You also noted in the report that uh, the provincial power, I guess, can override a local authority being a city council. So this is this is the province saying, hey, I know, Hamilton Council, you've decided on this plan, but we can do what we want. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, basically the MZOs can override a requirement for uh, municipalities to, uh, you know, a municipality decision. It can override um, conservation authority decision. It can allow for building in wetlands. It can allow for either density or urban sprawl. So um, it is a powerful, uh, a powerful power uh, that uh, is held by the Minister of the uh, Municipal Affairs. One more question for you, and since that we're in a pandemic and, and PPE has been a, uh, uh, you know, an issue for many of us, especially at the start of the pandemic, your report also dives into the PPE issue in Ontario, and it, it doesn't look very good either. No, we've, I mean, we've confirmed what I think has been, has been reported out there by, by media and that, but, um, you know, obviously the province wasn't prepared. We looked at that in 2017 as well, and we identified in 2017 that the provincial emergency stockpile uh, was being um, uh, was aging and wasn't being turned over and maintained. So hence, when uh, COVID hit, um, it wasn't a surprise to us as an office that the supply wasn't in place. So we, we do have recommendations on that. I think with um, Supply Ontario coming into play in the future, that um, hopefully will help that situation. And obviously, you know, people won't forget COVID, I think, as much as uh, people did forget SARS. It's a very extensive report, and rightfully so. A lot of great information uh, in that report, uh, contributed by uh, Bonnie Lissick, Auditor General of Ontario. Bonnie, thanks for the time today. Well, thank you for having me. And you can uh, get more information on the Auditor General's report online at globalnews.ca or 900chml.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Very interesting story involving a, a Hamilton teenager, one of 13 Canadian youth who are taking the federal government to court. Now think about this, a 16-year-old and a bunch of other uh, young teenagers taking the federal government to court in an effort to strike down the minimum voting age. 
So this group is saying that the government is denying citizens under the age of 18 the right to vote in federal elections, and they're calling this unconstitutional, and it violates two sections of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And those taking part in this challenge are even younger than 16. They range from 12 to 18 and represent seven provinces and territories. And their application has been filed at the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. So it's now in the courts. Joining us to chat about this is Jacob Kolotosti, a 16-year-old from Hamilton, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Jacob. Good morning. Why Thanks is so this? Much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on board and, and talking about this issue. Why is this issue important to you? This issue is important to me because me, as well as people around me and youth in general, really have complex political understandings that previous youth may not have had. We understand what we believe, and we're able to use that to impact who we would vote in and who we believe should represent us in Parliament. We're in, Parliament makes decisions that affect us. We're impacted by things like the COVID-19 pandemic that's occurring right now, the economy, racism and discrimination, and climate change, one of the biggest issues of our generation. And we want to be able to take what we believe and what affects us and bring that to Parliament. So one of your arguments that he just pointed to is you're much more informed these days than, say, previous generations. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, I believe that's generally correct. Technology has allowed us to be able to understand and consume a lot more different forms of information. So we're able to see information from all sides of the story because of technology, and we're able to interpret and create our own opinions based off of that. And that's made much easier because of technology. You pointed to a couple of factors or issues. What are some of the big issues affecting people in your age bracket? Yeah, so the one I see brought up the most for sure amongst people my age is climate change. We understand the impact that's going to have when we are adults, and we really want to make changes that will allow us to not be impacted by that as much as it currently stands to be. Another big issue among our generation is racism and discrimination and how things like the Black Lives Matter protests in America and in Canada are going to be impacting our future generations and the equity that we have as a country in the future. Jacob Kolotosti is a 16-year-old from Hamilton who is a litigant in this court challenge as this group of uh, Canadian youth are taking the federal government to court in an effort to strike down the minimum voting age. So it begs the question, what should that voting age be? That's a great question. So when you look at other countries around the world that have a lower voting age than 18, the standard is 16 in countries like Brazil, Austria, and recently Scotland, which is a country quite similar to Canada itself. When you also look into actual parliamentary parties like the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party and such, at 14, you can be a voting age member. So I don't think there's necessarily one set age that we have to be fighting for to lower the voting age to. We just feel that as a group, it needs to be lowered. And I can see from my own experience of those people around me at 16 and younger and older were prepared to vote. So if there was a number that you had in mind, what would you like to see, at least as a starting point? Um. If I had to choose a specific age based on my own experiences, I would probably go with around 16 as a 16-year-old. However, I think that opinion is going to be varied based on who you ask in our group and who you ask internationally. Uh, sorry, nationally.
The last uh, time around when we headed to the polls was not too long ago. It was just a couple of months ago in September, and the uh, voter turnout was about 59%, which was really low. Uh, obviously, it was an election that no one really wanted, and it was during the summer months as well. But the particular voter turnout between those in the age uh, bracket between uh, 18 and 24 is around 50 to 55%. Now, many people will say, listen, if you lower the age group, that, that number might not change much. Um, AKA, not a lot of young people are voting. So the question is, why should we change this age range if not a lot of teenagers are coming out to the ballot box? Yeah, so that's a great question as well, because science has shown and statistics has shown that when you lower the voting age, you're able to develop lifelong voting habits. So if you start voting, you're likely to keep voting regardless of what age you're at. And when you're at 16, 17, even below that age group, you are in school. You you are receiving a civic education. You're still living at home with your parents. So you're able to get into the habit of voting in a in like a, a group that encourages it rather than when you're off into university, you have prior or university college or the workplace, you have priorities that are outside of voting. So when you lower that voting age to sixteen, it allows it to creep up onto your priority list and it makes it a lot easier and I believe that it would increase the overall turnout among youth. Our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton is Jacob Kalatosti, a 16-year-old from Hamilton who is a litigant in this court challenge as uh, this group of 13 Canadian youth are taking the federal government to court. They want the voting age, the minimum voting age in Canada to be lowered. Uh, Talk to us about the court's case. When does it begin in the Ontario Superior Court of Justice and what do you expect? Um, It's hard to get a specific date, uh, but it, it will take place. It, there's going to be some time between each court case and how uh, we're able to prepare for that and how the government's able to prepare for that. There's no specific date as far as I know that we have set right now. It will take place, the whole thing, from start to finish over the process of a few years. So, uh, are, Do you have a good feeling? Are you optimistic? What happens if the Ontario Superior Court of Justice says no? Are you prepared to go to the next level of the court and all the way to the Supreme Court? I mean, I believe we have a good uh, argument that the superior, the Ontario Superior Court, will hopefully, be able to see and understand as well. Um, I don't know if we're prepared to decide how we're going to move past, uh, move forward once we reach, once we finish at that point. But I'm optimistic that when we get to that point, we'll be able to get the result we want and to bring the unconstitutionality of the the Elections Act to the public and to the courts, and for them to be able to understand how it's unconstitutional and violates our rights. Well, if anything, Jacob, you and others in this group should be congratulated for taking a stand, putting a flag in the sand and saying, hey, this is something that's important to us. These are issues we want to discuss and have uh, discussed in uh, Parliament and other uh, you know, municipal and provincial uh, governments as well, because we know there's a trickle-down effect on certain issues. Really appreciate the time. Good luck with this court challenge and uh, keep us posted on how it goes. Great. Thanks so much for having me. That's Jacob Kalatosti, a Hamilton teenager who is, um, among other uh, Canadian teens from seven provinces and territories, ranging in age from 12 to 18, uh, challenging the federal government's laws about and rules about uh, the minimum voting age. They want to see that lowered. Should it be lowered to 16, maybe even lower than that? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. In a matter of months, we're going to be going to the polls in another provincial election. One of the leaders is now promising to boost the minimum wage, which just went up to $15 an hour. But NDP leader Andrea Horvath is proposing to hike the minimum wage to $20 an hour over the next five years in a massive 
campaign promise. Go to the polls next June. This will obviously be a topic of discussion. Here to discuss it is Julie Kwasinski, the Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Julie, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Well, good morning, Rick, and thanks for having me on the show on behalf of our 38,000 members across Ontario. So how do you think your members feel about a proposed $20 minimum wage over the next five years? Well, I think we have to start with the obvious. This will not happen unless the NDP get elected. But in fairness, at least businesses know months ahead of the election exactly where the NDP stands on the minimum wage issue. But I think we're forgetting somebody here. We're giving the current government a pass. If we want to look not too far ahead and deal with the present reality, we're going to be faced with a $15 minimum wage because of the current government on January 1st, and the liquor server wage on January 1st, this coming January 1st, will increase by a whopping 20% at a time when restaurants are still struggling to recover from the pandemic. And I think, Rick, what this points to, the overall umbrella issue here, governments have got to stop placing the burden of cost of living issues on small businesses. They've got to start focusing on addressing higher costs. It's like asking businesses to do the government's job. So, for example, if you increase the minimum wage, that doesn't lower housing costs. If you increase the minimum wage, that doesn't lower childcare costs. And we're finding that anybody, whether you're government or opposition, they gravitate to raising the minimum wage as the easy answer. Guess why? Governments don't have to pay for the increases. Businesses do. It's easy to play Santa Claus with somebody else's money. Now, for her part, Andrea Horvath has said to help businesses with the rise of the minimum wage, or at least the proposed minimum wage hike, the NDP would offer industry-specific support, such as lowering alcohol prices for bars and restaurants. Will that cut it? No, they should do that anyway, irrespective of what's done with the minimum wage. That's not going to be enough. I mean, you're asking, you're looking at a $5 increase between... 22 and 2026. Actually, you know what? It's actually, if you think about it, Rick, $2 next year alone. Because you would have the current government's dollar, and if the NDP were to get elected, the NDP's dollar. So that would be $2 in one year when businesses, some of them are on their knees struggling to recover from COVID. So, I mean, the timing is not uh, ideal here either. So what's the ripple effect of at least a $16 minimum wage by January or October 1st, 2022? couple things here. So there are unintended consequences. One of the key ones is job losses through automation. So an employer will ask themselves, is the job at hand worth the amount of the wage? And if it isn't, if those two don't match, employers will simply replace the job with automation. And also, we've learned from previous debates on this issue, Rick, that the minimum wage increases will cause an upward pressure on wages above the minimum wage. So if one group gets a raise, others will want it too. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We did an interview with the vice president of Hayes Specialist Recruitment. They uh, unleashed their annual salary guide, and it shows that 65% of respondents are seriously considering quitting their job because of, well, several factors. Number one being compensation, but well-being, declining job satisfaction, a lack of career growth, automation in there as well. There's a lot of things that employees are thinking about, and employers are thinking about all these things too, but you know they can only stretch a dollar so far as well. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we surveyed our members in 2017 on the issue of how much they're paying their employees. And based on that survey, 63.3% of Ontario's small and medium-sized business employees earned $15 or more per hour. And that was back in 2017. So the issue there, a lot of people said, well, if if that's the case, then I guess it, it doesn't matter. It's not an issue for you. It is, because for that other percentage, they are struggling, and there's that impact of where you have the the pressure on all the other areas in the business that aren't getting the increase. And this was really exposed by the restaurant industry. They told us, you know, once you give one group the race and everybody else wants it too so there's that trickle effect you can't think of it in a silo that all employees will wonder and especially as the raises get higher and higher then that increases the pressure on the other wage groups to want more money too it's a pretty vicious cycle julie we'll have to leave it there because we're out of time thank you very much for joining us today Always my pleasure, Rick. You take care. You too. All the best. Julie Kwasinski, Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario Canadian Federation of Independent Business, basically saying, hey, the minimum wage can go up, but there's other things that need to happen uh, to protect and help our small businesses. Um, Yeah, it's a a double-edged sword here. No doubt about that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Are you employed? Are you gainfully employed? If so, have you had any thoughts about leaving your current role? Well, according to the Hayes Specialist Recruitment Salary Guide, two-thirds of you, two-thirds of Canadians, are seriously considering leaving their current role. Very interesting. Dean Jessavant is a VP of Hayes Specialist Recruitment and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Dean. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Um, two-thirds of Canadians is a lot of people who are thinking about quitting. What are some of the factors that they're uh, rolling around in the old cranium? Yeah, it's, uh, it's two. So unbelievably, 65% of Canadians are, are ready to leave their job. And um, you know, the market is unbelievable at the moment, um, hotter than I've ever seen it. And um, it definitely appears that the employee is focused on moving jobs rather than staying at their current position. There's a number of factors. Um, influencing this so to give some examples 62 percent of people currently want to that want to leave their company are saying it's due to a lack of career progression so career progression is a big one 38 percent are saying it's compensation related and 44 percent are saying it's because little or no training has been initiated by their employee uh, employer so training is a big ticket one at the moment um other contributing factors that we've really seen over the last year kind of um post pandemic are work-life balance flexibility and well-being and these factors are very much on the rise in the modern day workplace so to give you an example only 32 percent of canadians say they have a positive work-life balance so there's a number of contributing factors and a lot of things for employers to navigate around at the moment 
That work-life balance statistic is not at all surprising given that we're in a remote workplace, at least many of us are, and uh, those lines have been blurred now between work and at-home duties uh, that are not work-related, and uh, uh, yeah, those numbers are not surprising at all. No, and you know, just on that point, um, obviously we talk to employers every day, um, a big employer ourselves, uh, the whole hybrid workforce you mentioned there, and uh, you know, balancing the whole... um, Working at home, working in the office, um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of people see working at, working from home as a benefit. But you're seeing, on the other hand, um, a lot of um, a lot of employees are actually getting burnt out because they don't know when to cut off. Um, you know, turning off the computer when they're when when they're at home, you know, at the kitchen, um, and the cutoff point is very blurred now for people working at home. Uh, again, 65% of respondents to the Hay Specialist Recruitment Salary Guide are seriously considering leaving their role. That is an all-time high for the annual report, 16 points higher than the previous high last year. Now, the salary guide also warns that employers should brace themselves for a long, difficult road ahead. So. Is this going to continue to get worse? Yeah, I, I think likely. Certainly for for the next year or two years, you know, you've got um, you've got, you've got some some issues that that um, you know only a, a quarter of um, employers um, over the next year are planning to increase salaries, which could cause a an issue. Thirty eight percent of employers are going to make no changes as to how they kind of um, recruit their their staff. So. Um, I, I think, you know, to, to flip it, I really think employers need to work um, really hard on the areas such as that they can influence, such as training, flexibility, well-being, company culture. Um, you know, over half of the respondents that say they're currently, currently happy in their role are crediting um, things such as um, relationships with their manager, knowing that they have career progression opportunities. Um, the other really big one for Canadians at the moment is diversity. So 72% of employees say that it's important for their employer to have um, effective EDI goals in, the, in, in their businesses. Um, but um, on the flip side, only um, only 23% of um, employers currently have effective EDI practices. Dean Jessavant is our guest, Vice Presidents of Hayes Specialist Recruitments. They've issued their annual salary guide that shows two-thirds of Canadians are seriously contemplating leaving their current role. Uh, it also shows that 86% of Canadian employers have confidence in the country's economic recovery. So is there a disconnect between employers and employees on the way forward? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, there, there's, um, you know, there is confidence in the economy. So most Canadian employers are saying they're in a stable or rebound position, 32% in growth, 32% stable. I, I think that the, the disconnect, Rick, is um, I think at the moment, you know, what you're seeing is the, the, the employee is just ready to jump, um, as I said earlier. So, so obviously, they're they might be talking to their friends, they might be hearing that there's big salary raises. And I think that the, the, the first the first port of call is to, to, to look for another job. Uh, and, and I think um, I think there's a disconnect on both ends, as you say. I think employees and employers both need to do a better job of just talking to each other. The employer might have career, uh, uh, career progression opportunities to offer their employee that they might not have been forthcoming about. And um, vice versa, the employee might not have actually talked to their uh, employer about their career progression prospects, whether they can get involved in more projects, whether they... Um, you know, whether they're up for the next promotion. So I think there's a lack of um, the two talking to each other more than ever at the moment. Employees were asked about their plans for retaining staff, and communication came up in that, and about half are focused on better 
communication with their employees. 39% are focused on improving company culture. Uh, you know, that, that sounds great. That's hard to do in some cases. It's hard to do, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, how do you, how do you measure company culture? I and mean, obviously you've got um, various surveys, um, et cetera, et cetera. But, but, but the telling one is, is turnover, which is obviously on the rise. So I think, I think the communication piece you mentioned is, is critical, right? Em- employees more than ever want to, to be aware of um, everything. And it might, be, it might not just be around um, career progression and, and salaries. Um, you know, I was mentioning earlier, ED&I practices, diversity, um, you know, how, we, how we're progressively moving our company forward is, is a big ticket thing. So I think if, you know, if employers aren't thinking about multiple layers of communication, not just things around career progression and salaries, then you, you might see this continue, continuing turnover. Great insight from Dean Jessavant, VP of Hayes Specialist Recruitment. Dean, thanks for the time today and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Again, the Hayes Specialist Recruitment Salary Guide shows two-thirds of Canadians, 65%, are seriously considering leaving their current role. That is an all-time high for the report and 16 points higher than the previous high just last year. Something to consider as you contemplate your career path, whether you're on uh, the cusp of just launching into a career or on the downside, if you will, of your of your career. Things to consider. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tiger Cats in the red zone. Don Jackson hovering behind Jeremiah Masoli. Four receivers to the field side, and that's where Jeremiah Masoli looks. It's to his left. Going to the end zone. It's caught. Brendan Banks. Touchdown, Tiger Cats! That is RJ Broadhead, the call on Sunday's big win over the Montreal Alouettes in the Eastern semifinal. It has vaulted the Tiger Cats into the Eastern final this Sunday versus the Argonauts at BMO Field in Toronto. Hamilton is one step away from a trip to the 108th Grey Cup in our backyard at Tim Hortons Field. One team moves on this Sunday. The other goes home. Here to talk to us about it is the head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Orlando Steinauer. Coach O, how are you? Doing great, Rick. Thanks for having me on. How are you feeling this week? Is it uh, nervousness, anxiousness, excitement? What's going on? Uh, right now, it's just full speed ahead on prep. You know, obviously, I'm excited and, and everything, but as the game approaches, I'll feel all of those emotions for sure. Uh, but in the meantime, it's, uh, you know, just business as usual and, you know, how are we going to get better today in practice uh, in day two? Like every team, especially at this point of the season, uh, Hamilton is battling injuries. Uh, two notable uh, players who are, um, well, at least they were limited participants on day one of practice yesterday, uh, receiver Braylon Addison and defensive back Siante Evans. What are the chances that one or even both will play on Sunday? Well, there's always a chance, Rick, of, you know, it just kind of depends on how they feel, you know, so you push them each, each day and you kind of uh, wait for the report in the morning. So uh, you obviously, we don't play today or tomorrow, so you don't want to overexert people that are trying to work their way back in the lineup, but at the same time, you got to push them enough to get some information. So, um, you know, I hate to straddle the fence on the answer, but the, the answer is, is that, you know, they could, they could both possibly go or, or not. Hamilton and Toronto duking it out four times during the regular season. The Argos got the better of the Ticats in three of those games. How have you felt about your team's performances in those four contests? Uh, I mean, each each one was different. Obviously, the ones that you enjoy are the ones you win. But even in the ones you we won, uh, we didn't we didn't play flawless. And even in the games we didn't win on the scoreboard, there were some aspects of the 
of the game that we did win. And so I, I use those as, or I consider those as just information gathering uh, that's led us to this point. CFL teams want to be playing their best football at this time of the year, or are you expecting a peak performance on Sunday? Yeah, why wouldn't we? That's, I mean, it's, that's the beauty of playoff football. It's, it is just another game except for the consequences greater, and it's elimination football. So uh, what we want to do is score one more point than the Toronto Argonauts on Sunday. Our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton is Hamilton Tiger Cats head coach Orlando Steinauer as the Ticats and the Argonauts get set to duke it out in the Eastern Final this Sunday at BMO Field. One week later is the Grey Cup at Tim Hortons Field. How are you, or do you have to get into the players' minds of not looking ahead? Uh, I don't think so. You know, I think uh, you can't say that for every football team, but uh, they know that there there is no there is no it wouldn't matter where the Grey Cups played there there is no Grey Cup if you don't handle your business this week so um, I feel like they they understand that and it's you know the Grey Cup isn't even something that we've talked about really outside of uh, the opening meeting of the year because um, everybody knows what the end goal is but if you sit there and focus on it you're going to miss everything in between and I feel like we've done a great job this point. Uh, of not end watching, if you will, and that it's got us to this point. So I don't see it as a challenge of them looking past this football game. On yesterday's Good Morning Hamilton, we spoke with Argonauts play-by-play announcer Mike Hogan, and he said that the lower bowl at BMO Field is practically sold out. They've opened up the upper bowl to fans, which suggests that a lot of Ticats fans are making the trip down. How big of a factor seeing those you know, black and gold flags and, and fans draped out in their gear uh, important to the guys? What kind of factor does that play? Well, it's always a boost, right? That's that's the beauty of playing in Hamilton is is the community and the sense of pride and tradition that's here and and how well we travel, especially down the QEW. So um, yeah, the players the players enjoy it. It's uh, it's a great feeling. Uh, I remember in 2013 how well we traveled to the then Rogers Center and and that sort of thing. But the Hamilton fans are are you know they symbolize greatness too, like a lot of the players. Uh, that have come come before us here so it won't uh you know at the same time that's not the, the motivating factor it, it, we still have to go out on the field and execute but uh we're, we're looking forward to seeing uh, the black and yellow down into qew one more question for orlando stein our head coach of the hamilton tiger cats as the cats get set to play the argos sunday in the eastern final you can listen to the game right here on chml starting at 12 30 pregame show at 10 30 in the fifth quarter will follow the game in a normal year, this would be the start of the CFL offseason. The Grey Cup would have already been played. Instead, we're in the thick of the playoffs. Has this been a weird season, or has it just flowed because you're focused on football? Yeah, it's a fair question, but it's really just flowed. Um, you know, it is, it is interesting. Every now and again, you look at the calendar, and, and you're still playing and practicing. But uh, I will welcome this uh, at any time. So, But for internally, from the inside out, it's just, the next practice day, the next game day, and we keep it rolling. So, you know, if this ran into Christmas, then we'd make it happen. So (laughs) we're just excited for the opportunity and ready to get going. Orlandauer, always appreciate the time. Good luck on Sunday, and uh, hopefully we'll chat again sometime next week about uh, the Grey Cup. That sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Rick. Have a good one. Orlando Steinauer, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It is Ticats Argos Sunday at BMO Field. 
pregame extended to our pregame show here on CHML begins at 10:30. Kickoff is at 12:30. Note the different start time. It's a little earlier than in previous years, uh, given where we are in the calendar. Already in December, and one week from this Sunday, it's the Grey Cup in Hamilton. If you don't have your tickets, I'm not sure many are left, but if you don't have them, Ticketmaster.ca, Ticats.ca as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tomorrow is Bloodstay Radiothon here on CHML, so we thought we got to still talk about Bulldogs hockey, so that comes right now because it's another busy weekend for the dogs. Tonight, uh, tomorrow night, and Sundays when Hamilton will be in action. And here to chat about it is Reed Duthie, the play-by-play announcer of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Good morning, Reed. How are you? Good morning, Rick. It's, it's always good when it's a game day. How about yourself? Hey, I'm fantastic. Before we chat about uh, the upcoming action, we got to discuss Nathan Steos, the OHL's Defenseman of the Month. What a start to the season he's had. Oh, he is on a roll. Now, keep in mind, the Bulldogs' uh, single-season point record for a defenseman is 51. Nathan's at 19 through 20 games. He's the OHL's Defenseman of the Month. He scored his 100th point last weekend in Niagara. That was on Thursday. And eight days later, on Friday night, tomorrow night against North Bay, he'll play his 200th game in the Ontario Hockey League. So Nathan Steos is on a roll right now. What do you like about his game? Oh, I like a little bit of everything about his game. He's got a bit of his dad's tenacity in him. If you remember Steve Steos as a player, he was mean to play against in his own zone. But Nathan really reminds me of a guy who, I really enjoy watching right from the time he broke into the National Hockey League, and that's Tori Crew. He's a tremendous skater. He's got incredible offensive instincts. He can run the power play with the very best of them. He's got that wicked shot, and he just never gives up on a play. When you watch him in his own end, he's always hounding the puck, and when you get him in the offensive zone, He's as good as anybody in the Ontario Hockey League and probably at the next level, too. Bulldogs' next three games. Uh, you got uh, at least a heavy hitter in North Bay tomorrow night. They're in Barrie tonight, and uh, they host Erie on Sunday. Uh, give us a breakdown of these three big games coming up. Barrie's going to be an interesting one. they got a great offense. Oscar Allison leading the way there. Matt Guzda from Owen Sound now in net for them. So that's a test. Uh, Bulldogs still looking for Ryan Winterton to come back in the lineup, still a little bit off. So guys like George Diaco, Jan Mishank, Logan Morrison leading the way they'll be relied upon. Tomorrow night against North Bay, get your tickets for that one at First Ontario Centre. I mean, that's a marquee matchup. North Bay number eight in the CHL top ten. The Bulldogs number ten right now. They've got the two leading scorers in the OHL and Brandon Cole and Kyle Jackson. The Bulldogs have nine players in double-digit scoring. So that one's going to be a whole lot of fun. And then Erie on Sunday. Rick, the Bulldogs haven't seen the Erie Otters in 787 days. Wow. It goes back to October the 11th of 2019. Uh, There may not be names that Bulldogs fans remember on that Otters team, but they got a couple of guys that can put the puck in the net, led by Elias Cohen. So they've had some struggles this season, but don't sleep on them at the end of a, a long weekend. Bulldogs will need to be sharp on Sunday as well. Hamilton Bulldogs play-by-play announcer Reed Duthie joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You can get your Bulldogs tickets at Ticketmaster.ca and at HamiltonBulldogs.com. we got to talk about the Sudbury Wolves because they've been hit and hit hard by COVID-19. Yeah, that one, uh, I think it kind of caught us all off guard uh, the other day. And 12 players is what uh, was released and... Uh, luckily, from all the information that we have, it's either asymptomatic or extremely mild. 
So that's great news on that front. But I suppose it's just like in the National Hockey League or the American Hockey League, Rick, and a couple of teams have gone through it this season. And uh, unfortunately, Sudbury, uh, the, the unfortunate victims of some bad luck there. Yeah, they'll certainly be behind the eight ball. They're having a tough start to the season, and uh, who knows where it's going to go. As far as the dogs are concerned, they're uh, still uh, atop the East Division standings. Kingston and Ottawa close behind. Is this going to be a three-horse race the rest of the way, do you think? Oh, absolutely. Ottawa, they just keep on coming. They don't quit. They lost a lot because of the the COVID year off, and, and they have still found a way to be right at the top. And I mean, anytime you have Shane Wright for the Kingston Frontenacs, now, that's going to get interesting because the World Junior Selection Camp opens December 9th. So Shane Wright is going to miss a significant amount of time. Zade Wisdom not back yet for Kingston. So they're going to rely on a lot of guys like Lucas Edmonds, Jordan Frasca, uh, Martin Kromiak until he heads to the Slovak team. They'll have to carry them for a little bit. But after the World Juniors, the Bulldogs and the Frontenacs, I think, are going to be really, really fun to watch. We've seen a lot of great series between them, season series and playoffs. I think we're in for another one this year, and who knows what happens with that trade deadline just around the corner. Should be a lot of fun. Reed, always appreciate the time. Thanks, and uh, have a good call tonight. Always a pleasure, Rick. Thank you so much. Bulldogs and Barry tonight. They will host North Bay tomorrow and again hosting Erie on Sunday at 2. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.